1: You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show.
2: Alright, welcome in. The crew is back for episode 64 of BuzzBeat Radio. Do not forget, we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network. Um, and don't forget to check out QueenCityHoops.com, the home um, of Buzzbeat Radio and the Sports Channel 8, our good friend Brian Geisinger. Um, they have a radio show now uh, on Saturday mornings, 10 to 12, right, Brian? Yeah, yeah, 10 yeah. to 12, 99.9 in the Triangle area. So make sure you check them out. I was asking Brian how that's going for. We jumped on here and sounds like they're gaining momentum, getting better and better by the week. So don't forget to check out sportschannel8.com at sportschannel8. On Twitter, uh, a few things I want to plug. Uh, I don't really have a ton to plug, but keep an eye on queen We're going to really ratchet up our draft coverage here the next month. Now that we're post lottery, um, I've got a lottery mock draft, um, you know, column edition that I'll be doing up into the draft. So now that we're, or post-combine uh, and post-lottery, I'll get the updated one out hopefully next week. Uh, I know Brian and I and Richie probably, too, are going to do some pieces like we did last year. We'll really debate two prospects um, at the same position and try to figure out who, really who is the best fit uh, for the Hornets at number 11 uh, on June 21st. All right, now that I've got all that behind me, uh, we're going to jump right in here. But first, let's check in and see how everybody's doing. Richie, you're what? What did you say? You told me Fort. 15, 14 days away from summer?
1: 14 days this summer, and we have a countdown on. I actually started the countdown at 30, so uh, the kids have seen this countdown on my board since, you know, day 30 left to go, and uh, the kids are getting a little bit unruly. They're ready for the summer, but uh, we got a big test coming up, the end of grade test, so they've got got to focus for that at least, and uh, I know that once when that happens, uh, their behaviors are even going to amp up even more, but yeah, I'm counting down, they're counting down, we're both kind of uh, through uh, with this school year.
2: Yeah, it's just—it sounds like it's just like a staring contest for the next fourteen days <laughs> <laughs> between you and the kids. Uh, uh, good luck, man. You're g- getting close. That's awesome.
3: Uh, BG, what's happening with you? I feel like it's been too long, by the way. Yeah, same old, same old. I, I realized this is the first, uh, like, the first podcast in a while that I've done from the sort of normal setup here in Raleigh. The last one we did, I was back in Winston with some family, so. Good to be back. No, things are good. Uh, it's it's sort of nice to have the, the lottery behind us. Playoffs are in that way. We can sort of zero in on draft prospects. NBA playoffs have been a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I'm sort of looking forward to summer and figuring out some trips and stuff like that, too. So things are things are good. Everything with the radio show, sports Channel, like the radio show is going great. Uh, we had show number seven yesterday. We're recording this on a Sunday. We had show number seven on Saturday the 19th and I thought it was one of our best yet. So, things are good, man. How about you?
2: Yeah, I, I can't complain. Um it's been it's a crazy time of year. It's just a lot going on. I'm not a teacher like Richie, but I, I do work at a school, so it's just like springtime with graduation and and then obviously this time of year is is draft heavy season, which always tends to be like you always think it's the most fun part of covering uh nba hoops which it is but then you're just i always underestimate how busy it gets just from like a watching film mm-hmm. getting content out there perspective like preparation wise to like know what you're talking about this time of year you got to put the time in yeah um, and I always I always tend to underestimate that on top of the fact that you're trying to watch the playoffs and, and get that in on top of the fact is Richie knows you're trying to be married and, and uh, not get divorced <laughs> actually spending time with your wife so you know balancing all that gets uh, gets a little tricky from time to time but um but no it's fun so I uh, appreciate you asking you yeah, I'm good here I, I'm, I'm ready for this draft that is for sure um, I'm anxious to see what the Hornets can do so we're going to talk a lot about that later in the show we wanted to just kind of jump back in uh in time here and, and cover the james borrego uh introductory press conference we haven't uh, recorded since that happened late uh last week yeah i guess it was last week uh, late last week you know i'll open it up and let's just kind of spitball back and forth about this here but um you know i thought he's he's a very well-spoken guy mm-hmm. um i thought he did i thought it was a great press conference uh i think you can tell he's super excited and one of the things that I, I mentioned a lot, um, and I went on WFNZ in Charlotte last week, and I, I just—he seems like a super humble person, and, and he really understands. He doesn't take anything for granted, I guess. And, and I don't like say that, uh, you know, just try to be positive about this new guy that's going to coach our team. He seems like a salt of the earth kind of person who's going to get the most out of his players. And then obviously, like I know everyone's tired of hearing the San Antonio thing, but look, it's, it's a thing. Like he spent 11 years there um, and you can hear him talk and just like watch his body language. You can tell this guy's all business. And again, I don't think he takes things for granted. Like I really like this hire for Charlotte and, and I don't know what they're going to be able to put around him um, in terms of being able to improve this roster. I mean, we know how strapped they are from a flexibility perspective, but you know, I, I do think James Brego is going to be able to get the most out of guys. And, uh, I, I'm just really interested to see, you know, again, kind of these moves that we're able to make to give him something to work with, you know, in the next four years, He he's four year contract. So, um, you know, let's talk about some of the interesting quotes. Let's start with Kimba. You know, I would say he called him, I'm not going to read direct quote unquote, but it, he did say, call him the kind of the head of the snake. Mm-hmm. Um, talked about what they're going to do with Kimba a lot, putting the ball in his hands as much as possible. I mean, a lot of chatter about using this guy as our key cog. And as the big question, you know, in Charlotte right now, um, from a national media idea to the local fan is like, well, is Kimba even going to be on our team next uh, next season? Well, if you listen to Borrego in that press conference, damn sure sounded like it. So. <laughs> Uh, I thought I thought that was interesting um how high praise he had for Kimba and again how much detail he went into about like this is how I'm going to use this guy. Did that interest you guys?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there were definitely certain players that he went into a little bit more in detail and Kimba definitely was one one of them and, and it definitely interests me in the sense like you just said, you know, a lot of the conversation surrounding Kimba has been will he be on this team next season? And you know, from the looks of it you know, from everything that he is saying, he clearly plans on having Kimba on this Hornets team for next season because he's just so hyped up about him. Um, but definitely there are some players on this team that he went into detail about, like Kimba. Uh, he went into detail about Nick Batum and how unselfish he is and how he's such a great facilitator. And, you know, he would be a perfect player in the Spurs system. So, you know, I, I'm interested in see how we use Nick Batum next year because a lot of people want to get off his contract, but that might be an impossible task and there's also some other players that he did not go into detail at all unless uh he, they were brought up for example dwight howard you know he was he made a mention of the fact that he was you know a productive player last year but it didn't seem too convincing in, in how he said it so it's it's almost like not necessarily what you say but how you say it and the way that he answered that dwight howard question uh you know even the pauses that he had was very very telling of maybe his thoughts on him and where they see the future with, with Dwight Howard. But the future for Kemba, uh, it seems like it's a little bit brighter in terms of him staying on this team.
3: Yeah, he, he the direct quote he had about Kemba is, I've always been a Kemba Walker fan. Um, I liked what he said about he's his, his discussion on style of play I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. At least he was saying all the right things, and he said, you know, we want to space the floor for Kemba, um he wants it more open and you can tell which of course they do. I just don't know if they have the pieces like it's one thing to say you wanna you wanna spread the floor and, and play more efficient offensively. It's another thing to see if you actually have the pieces to do so. And I mean, who knows what the roster will look like in a few weeks, few months, whatever. So th- I'm curious to see that, but still that w- that was good to- it was nice to hear. He clearly he likes but he values Batoum as a player and he mm-hmm. likes his ability to facilitate be unselfish. And he even mentioned my ears perked up a little bit when he said, you know, he has some ideas to move him around the offense, mentioned him, you know, helping facilitate the second unit. It seems to me like Borrego has some ideas about playing different types of lineups, um, which is something that again, I, 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 my ears just like lift up a little bit because that's something that I don't think it would have solved a whole lot of issues on the team this year, but I would have been curious to have seen, Uh, the team just try some different groups and Mm -hmm. and some different combinations. And I mean, I love Steve Clifford. That was sort of the only, uh, only bone to pick I had with him after this past season was that they really just went into these with every game with these scripted rotations. And unless there was foul trouble, they, they just didn't deviate. They just sort of stayed the course on it. Um, He said, everything you wanted to hear about style of play, wanted to play fast, get up and down the floor, find transition efficiency and find offense in the first five to eight seconds of the shot clock, which I like that too. And, and again, if, if you, if we're, if we're still discussing this with Kemba Walker being in Charlotte, I mean, look at his numbers, Kemba's shooting efficiency in the first seven seconds of the shot clock is outstanding. I mean, you know, hovering close to probably 60% effective shooting. So, and he wants defensive efficiency to lead into transition, so taking away the three point line again, all that sounds wonderful. I question how Dwight Howard fits into any of that on either end of the court um so so we'll see so we'll see how that goes. but uh no, nah, I liked i i Spencer, I agree with you. I thought this press conference I thought he was really impressive um i thought I thought it was more than just like vapid cliches like he Mm -hmm. spoke about himself he spoke about his upbringing Mm -hmm. he mentioned a lot of coaches that were important to him like monty williams greg popovich he seems thrilled about the opportunity and getting to coach guys like nick batum and kemba walker and again he said everything you want to hear about style of play and player development which was another uh like buzz buzzworthy term from uh, from his press conference,
2: yeah, and I want to go back to you were talking about Nick Batum and um, talking how uh, talking about how Barrego was touching on maybe some lineup uh, versatility, thinking more outside the box. And, and when you talk about Batum and Barrego's comments about really maximizing his playmaking ability, using him differently in the offense, you know, it brings to my mind the thought that. It, well, it, it, I think it's a reality for this team. And I mean, Batum and Kimba are going to have to be staggered more. Uh, and Batum is going to have to play with the second unit more. And he's going to have to run. He's going to have to run the offense uh, for the second unit. M- so much more than he has in the past um, next season, because the Hornets just don't, they can't get a a good backup point guard. I mean, they can maybe bring somebody from the G league team that w- we're, we don't know about or not talking about enough or, you know, somebody like uh, I'm trying to think of a restricted free agent that they might be able to to score in free agency. Um, oh they still, they just don't have
3: the money for it. You know, yeah, yeah they yes, just don't have the money. Who's the uh, the, money.
2: the kid from Miami that's in Boston now? I just had a,
3: a Shane, Larkin. A Shane yeah, Larkin. Shane
2: Larkin. You know, like somebody like that. But like, mm-hmm. there's just there's no but there's no way for this team to improve at the backup point guard position again this summer significantly and. They can get a player, but just not one that's going to be able to do the Steve Clifford. Like, okay, we're going to give you the ball, a one million dollar player with four other (laughs) bench guys like that stuff just don't work. So I really hope Borrego can unlock some some ability with Batum and creativity, like you said, Brian, to think about getting Batum and Kimba in some different lineups. Um, Obviously, you want those two on the floor together as much as possible, but uh, the Batum's got to play by himself. It's the only way that Charlotte doesn't sink every time Kim is not on the floor, Mm -hmm. which they have not been able to figure out the past few years. So I I think that has to be, you know, you just got to shrink your margins there and without the ability to really get better in free agencies, you know, line up creativity is is one way to certainly certainly do that as well as style of play. But, uh, let's talk about this, um, Dwight Howard, (laughs) um, (laughs) non-comment really made by Brago real quick. And I don't want to spend a ton of time on it. I just I thought it was interesting. I'm listening to the press conference. I'm listening to how much detail Brago goes you know, goes into with Kemba and goes into with Batum. And, you know, frankly, with Bacon and Monk as well, I mean, really talks extensively about those two guys and how important their development is. And then ask about Dwight Howard, I think by Rick Bonnell, Mm -hmm. um, just kind of, you know, talk about his season last year. And then I think he said, you know, where do you see this kind of guy in today's NBA? And he was like, look, he was great last year. He was a force in the paint at the rim. He had a great season. Um, I think he mentioned his health. And he was like, yeah, he's he's a good player. And then that was it. (laughs) <laughs> and, and after like, again, I listened to him talk extensively about other players on this roster, just how short that answer was. Like I was sitting in my car listening to this and I was like, is he done? Is that it? So, <laughs> yeah. Like it just it was really obvious that like, he didn't want to talk about Dwight Howard, which I thought like, I put it out there on Twitter and for the most part it got like yeah I I noticed that too of course there's like the Dwight guys that we all know who you are and you're just gonna get his back no matter what but for the most part I think everybody noticed like wow that was really obvious thoughts
1: yeah I thought it was Very telling. I don't I don't think how any I mean, I don't know how you couldn't say otherwise. I think that his demeanor changed. His name was brought up. He had a pause for like three seconds before he can answer the question. He did a good job in terms of how he handled the question. Uh, It's not like he was uh, overly obvious, but you could still tell that his demeanor changed. And he doesn't really see a fit with Howard on this team. And it doesn't match with this fast-paced team, efficient in transition, that he's been talking about in his press conference, kind of like Brian stated. So whether or not he's going to be on the team next year, that's a different question. But I I guess Borrego doesn't really see a role for him when it comes to his style of play. And it it was obvious. I don't know how people can say otherwise.
3: Yeah, I just think it's one of those things, if you're going to prioritize defending the three-point line, I, I just... How do you how do you even go about trying to use Dwight defensively? like how how and what do you do? And even if you tell him certain things to do defensively, like he might just veer off in his own direction. Um, I think it's been really interesting. The two most recent Hornets coaches. So James Rago and Steve Clifford, the two times we've heard both of them speak publicly within the last probably four or five weeks, which was when Steve Clifford was on Woj's pod this James Borrego press conference, I think it's really telling not what they said about Dwight, but just the absence of what they said uh-huh. about Dwight. Everyone will run down the checklist of, oh, he played in 81 games. He's in great physical shape. He can still get up and down and he's a power in the paint. And then they don't want to expand on that. Um, and I think that absence is telling and it's different both in tone and, in. Um, sort of like flowery language compared to how those guys will talk about Kemba and his work ethic and his skill and Nick Batum's skill and ability to be a communicator. Yeah, I think that's really well said for both you guys. I mean,
2: you know, Borrego talked about ball movement being, I think Bono also asked him, hey, look, what's the most important thing that this team has to change and alter to really start improving? And, And he said ball movement. And when you just start there, when thinking about how Dwight Howard could possibly fit in Charlotte or or really any successful offensive system in today's NBA, like he's not moving the ball. It's not happening. It's just, it's not. And you know, Brian, you said it like he's going to veer off and do his own thing. He wants to get post touches. Like if that's going to be the number one priority offensively for this team, and then you consider, well, Kimball Walker might be walking out the door a year from now and a rebuild is is all but likely coming sooner than later. And James Brago's got four years to make some serious headway with the roster. It doesn't look like it's going to be great. So to me, like consider all those factors. Dwight can't be a part of this for a year. He can't yeah. like th- yeah. this thing's got to take a step forward. We got to yeah. move past it. And I just don't know like, but I don't know how Charlotte's going to get off of it. Like I, mm-hmm. like, what are they going to do? I, they could just wave him That's certain stretch him. That's certainly a possibility. I can't imagine they're going to be able to trade him without, you know, extinguishing something. Yeah, exactly. Without extinguishing some kind of future asset. And I I don't know, man, it's, it's a bad situation, but back to the original point, I think you're really paying attention to our press conference. It Really does not sound to me like Dwight Howard's going to be a part of this team next season.
3: Yeah. I think there's a, I, I, I can't imagine what the trade market is for him unless Kemba was headed out the door and you were somehow able to attach him as part of a, a deal with Kemba, but even then that's pretty clunky and you know, you might need multiple teams to make that even a possibility. I mean, to me, it seems like you end up, you got to waive them, you know, I don't think they're going to stretch them with just a year left on the contract, but that would theoretically create um, about fifteen, twelve, fifteen million $15 million in cap space for next year. But I, I don't think they're, they're going to stretch them. I think you just, you just sort of rip that bandaid off if you can, but like you said if they're gonna if they're going to start from the ground up, you just can't have you can't have Dwight, um, yeah. you know, yeah. around this team. And let, I just want to say one other thing because I've been thinking about this during the playoffs, while so watching the Boston Celtics play, um, and Marcus Smart in particular. So everyone, the the belief this season with the Hornets was you had to give Dwight these post touches so that he would stay engaged on the glass and stay engaged defensively. Um, And then that's sort of been similar in Boston has been, Hey, for Marcus smart to, to stay, you know, as super competitive as he is for him to lock in defensively, for him to play like a maniac, you got to let him, you know, he's going to take four, three pointers a game and three of them are going to be really dumb. (laughs) And he might, he might, he might miss all of them, but it's worth it for Boston because watch how hard that guy plays. Like yep. I'll live with that mm-hmm. guy taking two or three terrible shots because he makes so much happen defensively and offensively by just running around and screening and posting up and stuff. Mm-hmm. Dwight doesn't do that like you don't oh. get the return on the other end for letting him be inefficient offensively and nope. Boston does that with Marcus Smart because he plays like his hair's on fire, and Dwight doesn't do that he wants he wants it to look like. Um, you know he's you know he's powering the paint and he's playing hard and it it's just all for show. And those post ups, you're just not getting any return on your investment like Boston does with Marcus Smart threes. So, anyways, that's been on my mind, and I I don't I don't need to go any further with it. But it's just been so obvious to me the last couple of weeks watching Celtics <laughs> in the playoffs. Yeah, I, no, quick.
2: Uh, side story real quick actually that reminded me, Brian. Um was out with a few people yesterday, just kinda enjoying the Saturday. Um we're talking NBA hoops, the guys that I consider to be, you know, pretty pretty educated NBA fans. And mm-hmm. the guy was asking me about Dwight Howard and he was like, Man, I mean what a monster year that guy had. Oh my god. And I just yeah, I, I literally like took a sip of my beer and then I thought my hair <laughs> actually I, I thought it was on fire. So so I was like, all right, like you guys just get comfortable real quick. I'm going to explain to you some things. (laughs) So like I went on this 10 minute rant about how I hate watching Dwight Howard play basketball. (laughs) And, you know, if I have to watch it another year, that that might be it for me. I I might just have to hang it up. And these guys that came out of this, uh, my pretty much a rant. I I wouldn't say it was like an educational moment for these guys. (laughs) They're just listening to me. Bitch and complain. But at the end, the guy was like, Yeah, I guess you're right. Like, he, he really is a fake defense, hard, totally you know, defensive player. He's like, They, they really don't uh, unlock anything with him. He doesn't hedge ball screens, no. he sits back in the pain. And I was like, Yeah, just watch him. Like, go back and watch some highlights from last year or some, or some film if you get a chance. And just watch how his arms stay by his side. Like, constantly. He won't even like contest shots at times. Mm-hmm. It's, anyways, I'm done. I don't want to go back to the uh, same rabbit hole I was at yesterday. But, I just that that's maddening to me that like your average NBA fan is just like man what a year Dwight Howard had like you mm-hmm. ah, this really pisses me
1: I mean off. he he put it, up some numbers but I guess those are those are yeah. kind of empty stats when you look at it, you know how he affected the team and yeah like you said you you watch him defend pick and rolls uh, it was pretty much non-existent and this kind of transitions us to the off season and we got a couple of Twitter questions about you know how we're going to approach the off season both of these um, one from at Mr. Frontpage and another one at British underscore Buzz, both asking about how we're going to approach the offseason. At Mr. Frontpage, ask, I'm curious what roster moves need to happen. I personally think the team needs to move off of DH, even if it means eating more money. I guess he means like in the long term. You know, that that's a. That's a risky uh, approach to take, but uh, if you don't want him on the team, you might go through any means possible. And then at British underscore buzz ask uh, with the Hornets right up against the tax. Does it make sense to trade one of Lamb, Frank or Hernan Gomez who have low salary but are easily movable for a late first or a second who can play right away? So I don't know what your thoughts on on either of these questions. You know what new me, what moves need to happen, and um, in terms of trading one of those players, I think the premise of that question makes sense in terms of trading uh, Frank or. Or Lamb, I don't see why we would trade Hernan Gomez after just acquiring him late in the season. Uh, give him yeah. a shot and see how he can, you know, do with a full season under his belt with the Hornets. But I'm not sure any of those players gets us even a late first. Uh, maybe Lamb, but even that's kind of iffy. But uh, I understand the premise of the question: get off some money yeah. while picking up a rookie contract in the process.
2: Yeah, hey, we, can we repeat that first? I like knew f- where I was going to start with that first question. Now I've forgotten it. Can you repeat that one real the quick? The
1: first question was asking about what roster moves need to happen. Uh, and he was talking about how he personally thinks that, uh, you know, they need to get off of Dwight Howard, even if it means eating, oh, right, eating right. money in the long term.
2: Yeah, well, what I would say to the eating money in the long term idea is that uh, allow us not to forget that's exactly what we did <laughs> by getting off miles plumley to get dwight howard is like okay well, we're going to eat more money now but we're going to get off some long-term money so why would we continue down that path to just you know like we can't just we can't continue down the path of still trying to almost in theory if you think about it this way like getting off of miles plumley's contract right we already did like Dwight's <laughs> an expiring why would we trade him let's get it back let's for get it back salary long term you know what i mean it's just like <laughs> the ghost of miles plumley's contract like we we just need to let it end. <laughs> like, so that's why I think like waiving Dwight mm-hmm. is a is a far better option than a yeah. trading him for a little less salary, but for a few more years or B attaching him to Kimba, because if if you're trading Kimba Walker and the number one thing you're getting from it is getting off Dwight Howard's expiring contract. And that's a that's a terrible trade. Yeah, right. So yeah.
1: I mean, that's happening, happening in a year anyway. But yeah, I think that. You know, if Borrego doesn't have any plans for Dwight Howard on this team, uh, does it? I don't even think it makes sense to have him sit at the end of the bench. I mean, you know, you know that's going to be an, a disaster.
2: Yeah, yeah. No. No. At that uh, point, I'd just be like, "We're not going to waive you." I mean, you can stay on the roster this
3: year, but just just stay at home. You know, at that yeah. point, just tell him not to come. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it would be interesting to see Dwight as part of like the buyout market next spring, uh, leading into the playoffs, and just how many, if any teams would be, would be, would be interested in assuming the Hornets, you know, uh, worked out a, a buyout with them or something, but clearly something has to be done with the roster. Um, I mean, with 11 players under contract, including Dwight plus the first round pick, I mean, they're right at the tax line and they, they may even be a little bit over it. So you got to move some salary. We've talked about this a lot over the last uh, handful of months, probably. And Lamb is sort of the easiest, mm-hmm. you know, outside of Kembo, you know, it, you know, guy entering the prime of his career, just had his best year ever, on an expiring contract, uh, at, a, at a good number of about $7 million. So it's easy to move, and he would certainly, you know, get him under the tax. They're never going to pay that with MJ. And, like, anyone would diagnose, um, you know, next year's roster, there's literally no reason to pay the tax for a team that – has at best a you know a half decent chance of making the playoffs, you know, not even <laughs> they're not actually contending right. for anything. so yeah, they're gonna they gotta move some salary around. I don't know if Kaminsky's low salary number. Uh, he's probably probably in the what the the four to five million range I, I would go need to pull that up so that that helps a little bit. Lamb creates a little bit more flexibility. I can't imagine that you're getting, I mean, you could see at the trade deadline this past year, how hard it was to unearth a. I I mean, there was, there was only one first round pick that was traded. And to do that, uh, like Cleveland had to eat Jordan Clarkson's terrible contract and he's a terrible player. Um, that was, that was it. So it's to, so those are tough to come by, but you know, maybe, uh, Phoenix has a lot of cap space. Maybe they'd be interested in and Jeremy Lamb, we've talked about them as a potential trade partner before too. But I just don't know what the return is going to be. But they need they need they need some breathing room in terms of cap space. So one of those guys is probably going to have to get moved. Of course, the larger conversation is at some point they should probably look to try to trade Kemba. Yeah. Um,
2: so I think it would really suck for Charlotte if. You know, Borrego was able, let's say we kept Kimba and we were able to get something going early next season and, you know, and are in the hunt in the Eastern Conference for that, you know, five to eight playoff range. But you, you run it back with all these guys we're talking about, the 11th pick, you know, the minimums you got to sign this summer to, f- to get the roster to 14. So you're over the tax at that point. It would really suck for Charlotte if they got to the trade deadline. And they, you know, were, let's just say for the sake of example here, they're in six in the East and people are excited, but Michael Jordan's to Brian's point is forever and ever, never, ever paying the tax. It's not happening. doesn't matter unless we're the one seed in the East, which we won't be. So it would really stink at that point if we're in a good position and they're like, well, you know, we got to trade Jeremy lamb, you know, like in the middle of the season, mm-hmm. in the middle of the playoff hunt, just to duck the t- tax while yeah. we're trying to make the playoffs, having to trade a key piece. That's why you got to imagine that this trade, this, you know, salary dumping trade is going to happen this summer. Mm-hmm. You know, like why I just, it's hard for me to believe that the front office is going to make like a, a, a desperate kind of panic trade at the, in the middle of the season, just to duck the tax. Like I would just imagine something's going to happen this summer so they go into the season with the roster they know they're going to have and not have to face the thing. Well, maybe halfway through the year we're going to have to ditch one of these guys. Um, that's a key contributor because that's the only yeah. way you're getting under the tax. Anyways, to that end, you know, I, I would mention Michael K. Gilchrist. Like, yeah. Talking about this guy um, this weekend too with somebody, I'm just like, look, I, I think we need to talk about him more as a, as a trade piece because like, just look at Houston. Just watch, if you watch the playoffs – you cannot convince me that twenty four old twenty four year old Michael K. Gilchrist does not have a place in the NBA. You just mm-hmm. can't. Like why can't Houston or some other team use him, you know, like they use Luke and I'm I can not ever say his last Mba name. Mute. So. Mba. Mba. Luke Richard you know, Mbaamute. Why can't he play that exact role somewhere? Um, just look at how the game's played. Like when when teams go super small, you know, MKG can be the nominal five or whatever. The guy that just can't shoot, but is switchable on all positions defensively is a great cutter, makes a difference in the offensive glass. Like he has a place in this league and I just can't imagine there are, there aren't front offices out there saying, yeah, I'd really like to see what we could get for that guy. You know, like put him into our system and see what, what could happen. So, I think he's a trade piece. I really do
3: using him in a more dynamic fashion than what Charlotte Steve Clifford did is should be, it's really interesting. And I think he should appeal to a lot of teams because of that. Um, You know, you think of him being used the way, like you said, or like PJ Tucker is as opposed to just being the small four. That's that like camps on the weak side and cramps your spacing, you know, like that clearly that role is not working for Michael K. Gilchrist. But you you move him up, you move him to the four, or the five, you have him be a guy that gets to play with four shooters and he's the one cutter, diver, roller on the floor. That changes everything because the guy's a, a good defensive player. I would hesitate to say like elite or anything like that, but he's a very good defensive player and he plays super hard. And he likes to get in transition mm-hmm. and he's active and he's still just 24 years old. And it's worth mentioning that guys like Mute and PJ Tucker, when those guys were 24 years old, they didn't have a three-point shot either. Um, I know this is the sort of like the great white Buffalo of Hornets fans, the Michael Kidd-Gilker's three-point shot. But and it may not happen in Charlotte, but like that's the guy. If he figures out how to make 36% of his corner threes and he's not mm-hmm. afraid to take them, which I still think is in the realm of possibility for him, then I mean that it changes the math on him as a player for the next ten years. Um, but maybe that maybe that never happens. I still think there's utility for him out there. You just gotta be in a more a more advanced version of how you wanna use a guy like MKG and his skill set.
1: see I think it never happens with him just because I feel like that's the I think the, you the, might be right. The one question mark out of Kentucky has always been his shooting with that hitch and everything. Mm-hmm. He's he's Improved it a little bit, but uh, I think the biggest issue, like you said, Brian, he needs to be surrounded by shooters. And, you know, he does have a role in the NBA, but not on the Hornets because we don't have any shooters. So, I mean, he's good in transition. He he can bully his way to the basket. But when there's not any spacing there because you don't have any shooters uh, like we didn't have on the Hornets, uh, his uh, effectiveness is definitely going to go down.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. I, I, it's amazing. that He's twenty-four years old. Like I know, it's I, crazy. I, I always know in the back of my mind that he's still young, but then when I actually look at the number, I check this like once every six months. I'm always just like baffled. It's like he it feels like he's been here for ten years. <laughs> yeah, um, it's crazy. But anyways, yeah, I don't know. Like I think thirteen million is a big number. I um, will always be an MKG fan. I'm just not sure it's going to work out in Charlotte. And I think it's worth considering the idea of parting ways with him and look I just think you can get something for him right. Like I think this is the one one of the few guys on our team with if you sought out certain teams um in parentheses western conference teams that play basketball the right way and are creative thinking yeah. um you know I, I think that you can you might be able to get a late first round pick I, I mean look if if you can get this guy for two seasons and a 13 million dollar number um, I can't come up with that team that has the flexibility that's actually uh, in contention really right now off the top of my head. I'm sure you can make the math work a little bit, bring in a third team. But if you can find a way to get that guy to golden state or, or mm-hmm. Houston or Portland for that matter, you know, something along those lines, like I think, I just think you could get a late first round pick or at least a second round pick. And that's great. Cause Charlotte doesn't have a second round pick for the next two seasons. Um, you know, any asset coming back and also being able to get under, uh, the tax threshold is a win for Charlotte. So I think MKG keep him in mind. The, know, I,
3: I, yeah. The, the Pelicans, if they didn't have the sort of like the yep. DeMarcus cousins conundrum, they would be interesting because they would, they have, you know, they would have some, you know, some space to, for, for his type of salary too. uh, two other, two other quick items, Frank Kaminsky will make 3.6 mil a little over 3.6 million next season you almost wish they just hadn't picked up that option (laughs) and that you could just have a little bit more additional breathing room. I mean, you'd still have to sign somebody to fill it and that's a pretty low number, but um, I mean, I'd rather take a chance on a a second rounder in the draft this year or just, I just think Frank Kaminsky is what he is. Uh, This is I don't want this to be too much of a tangent, but Brago talked a lot about player development. That's great to hear. A lot of these guys, once you get three, four years in, like they sort of are what they are and they're not going to like improve. Maybe they improve on the margins, but it's tough for them to just improve drastically, especially when Kaminsky already has a three pointer. It's like, he can't add that to his game and get this new dimension. Um, And then one other name we should mention is Trevi and Graham too, restricted free agent. And he's another guy talking. I mean, Spencer, you and I talked about this months ago with Richie, you too, where can you imagine what that guy like he could help Houston and Golden State tonight in the in the Western Conference finals? Like he's totally one mm. of those kinds of players. Um, and, you know, Charlotte's going to have to figure out what they can, what they can do and what they want to do with him. Um, you know, he might just be a casualty if unless they can carve out some some space to sign him. Yeah, I think
2: I don't know, man. Travion's or Charlotte's best chance with Travion is is just hoping that this market dries up. You know LeBron drags his feet, you know pauses the entire market, and then they just get Travion to sign his qualifying offer, which is about 1.7. I mean it's a minimum yeah. contract effectively. Yeah. So like that's that's the best chance to actually like fit him on this roster without really really putting yourself like like without putting yourself in a situation to where even if you made a trade at the deadline you might not be able to duck the tax and. And so it's just hard to imagine, like BG said, like where it's hard to imagine a scenario to where Charlotte can sign to like a three-year deal. Um, even to get like a team option, uh, team control in the third year and, and get him at like, you know, four million a year or something in that range. Like it just mm-hmm. it doesn't fit on these books, especially for for next year. So I don't know. I mean, it, really, their hope is just. Hoping and praying that the market dries up, nobody's interested, and he signs his qualifying offer. I don't see any other ways back. What's
1: good, y'all? This is your boy Justin, a.k.a. Just Blaze, host of Above the Rim. And if you want a raw take on the NBA, Above the Rim is a show for you. With dope beats and entertaining guests each week, we offer a great new insight on all things NBA. You don't want to miss it. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and the Almighty Baller Network.
2: all right well let's let's transition this is sad let's transition to some uh some draft talk um let's see here where should we start so anything interesting from the lottery uh for you guys that we want to mention i mean obviously we're picking 11th which is where we expected to be picking um uh, yeah i turned it off after that i wasn't really paying attention to the other team so
1: once when uh once when we got the eleventh pick, I was like, "Okay, back to what I'm doing." Um, I didn't really care. I, well, that's what I expected, so I, I don't know why I got my hopes right. up, but uh, yeah, that's that's where we were supposed to land. And
3: um, but I didn't I didn't pay attention to any of the other teams. It's the same feeling you get, you know, when there's a power. Do you guys ever buy Powerball tickets? You know, the, the day of when you know there's a big drawing. My parents yeah, yeah, do. Yeah. Yeah, my parents excited. do. Like, wow. Oh, this is
2: here.
3: You know, I I don't do it every time. You know, it ends up probably averages out to like once a year when there's a big drawing. And it's funny because you, I find myself – this is the insane game that I play in my head where like I'll be buying a ticket and I'll be like, holy crap. Like this could be it. This could be it. And then the drawing is later that night and you know, obviously you don't win the $100 million and you think to yourself, what the hell did I think was actually going to happen? Like why did I even allow myself that brief moment of insanity where I thought this was like my ticket towards riches – And I mean, the odds for that are way, way worse than even the Hornets low odds for getting a top three pick in the lottery this year. But as soon as the Hornets come up with 11 and the camera smash cuts to Mitch Kupchak's face and you're like, yep, this is like, this is the Hornets in 2018, everything fitting in exactly where you would expect it to be. And, you know, Mitch Kupchak and MJ pulling the strings. So no, no surprises there. Um, and I wish I hadn't even let myself get a tiny bit hopeful that night. Yeah. Um, yeah. You
2: know, so luckily I play in an adult men's basketball league on Tuesday night. So I did not watch the lottery live um, I, as I'm driving to my game. I'm literally thinking, I'm like, Oh, this is definitely the year. This is the year they're going <laughs> to get the number one pick. And I forgot to record it. Yeah. I forgot to record it. I uh, actually text my wife Kelsey I was like hey just turn this on real quick and just like let me know uh if something crazy happens you'll you'll know if Charlotte gets number one pick you'll get it um and of course not so right um all right well let's let's jump the combine I watched as much as I could ESPN's coverage is kind of funky like it's the combine I don't like I they're just doing like an off season preview for (laughs) every other team. Like, can I watch the combine? So they actually had an additional feed this year where you could watch the game scrimmages, which is cool. I tried to do that as as much as possible. I'm just going to throw out a few names here, uh, guys that popped off to me um, in the scrimmages for one, and then two, really some of the measurements here and and BG, I'll do a plug for you. If I mess it up, I'm just fix it here in a second, but you Mm -hmm. did a little piece on, Josh Akogi um from Georgia Tech among mm-hmm. some other ACC guys for and you did this for accsports.com the other day. That was a really good read. Um kind of amazing how many wings now that you you know we're here and I'm I'm looking I'm like wow there's a lot of wings in the ACC yeah. that are going to yep. make an impact. Um, maybe in the rookie seasons, but I want to start with Akogi. Um I had no idea he had a 7-foot wingspan mm-hmm. and it's one of the best measurements of his position the entire Draft it looks like here, um, a Kogi. What was he in shoes here? I had it right here. He's six four and a half in shoes. That's a little underwhelming, but a seven foot wingspan and his motor and watching him play in five on fives. I didn't see a lot of him, but I saw a little bit of him. And there's so much to like here. If he can overcome that meh average height, like here's a guy that could really climb up mm-hmm. draft boards. I'm not sure he can get all the way to into the lottery, but at this point some of these wings have got to rise above others. And it looks like Michael Bridges is starting to lose some steam. So let's kind of start with the Kogi and we'll, we'll zoom through these pretty quickly, but replug your piece there, Brian, and tell me why you're, why you're excited about this guy. And then maybe some ACC wings that we should be focused on for at 11, possibly.
3: Yeah. The piece was really just on how impressive he was athletically at the combine Uh, Tied with uh, Villanova's Dante DiVincenzo for the top max vert, max vertical leap, 42 inches, plus the seven-foot wingspan. He was great, I think, in the 1% all-time of sprint times recorded at at the Combine. And and so I just compiled some of those numbers and put that together at accsports.com, along with some of the other um, sort of notable measures that popped up with a few other ACC wings, like Gary Trent. Uh, like Devin Hall from Virginia, like Trayvon Duval from Duke, um, who athletically, Duval, I thought had a pretty nice combine and he sort of needs to because he's got to be able to sell teams on his sort of freaky athleticism out of the the the, the guard spot. But no, Okoge Oko- Oko- an interesting player. Uh, he had a really good freshman. C- he's just clearly one of those guys that he was under recruited. And so because of that, he's just been sort of undervalued until literally right now, like until he started going nuts at the combine. And he's a good off the ball player, a good cutter, decent three point shooter that has run a little pick and roll. But in Georgia Tech's system, a lot of back cuts. Um, and, and he is, his freshman season, he was one of the best in the nation at, at finishing off the move. Um, the seven foot wingspan, super appealing. Feels like he's switchy, can guard a lot of positions. Like he said, height's not great. But if you look at the Celtics right now, having guys that can guard, like the, this is where the league is going, having guys that can guard multiple positions, switch, and contest threes. Um, you know, you want, you want guys like Okogi like projects to be probably. So I, I, I'm interested in him. It, I think it's crazy that he's, he's moving up to the lottery, but when you see him get these athletic composite scores that can, are comparable with Donovan Mitchell, uh, that jumps off the page pretty quickly. Um, yeah, no doubt. Go ahead, Rishi.
1: No, I mean, this is the first time I'm hearing his name. So I've never heard of this guy before. So you guys are (laughs) shedding some light on this guy. But like you said, Brian, he was under recruited. So there's probably what wasn't a whole lot of spotlight on this kid. And um, Mm -hmm. he's obviously showing out uh, in the combine. I don't know how much stock you put into all the measurables and how they can translate to the court stuff. But I mean, those athletic numbers uh, definitely are uh, eye catching.
3: He yeah, also he, like yeah. last, sorry, Spencer, but oh, like good. last, last season he was suspended for a few games and had a thumb injury. So just like it, you know, in Georgia tech to be in the ACC that they, they don't get a ton of national shine either. So last season was kind of a, you know, could have been a breakout year for him. And he sort of, you know, underperformed maybe in terms of just like on court production, but it, he had to carry a, a, a crappy Georgia tech offense in a team that's really not that well coached by Josh Pastner um and so now so now it's nice to see him sort of finally get a pickup from where he left off to some extent after a good freshman year yeah he's
2: um you wonder if he's going to be able to shoot on the next level shot 38 percent at georgia tech pretty good um to brian's point had to carry a bad offense so had to take a lot of bad shots i think really is what that means in Mm -hmm. a vacuum and then but i just love the fact that number one, how he plays defense. I mean, his upside on that end is pretty obvious. Switchy seven foot wingspan. Um, obviously a great athlete. I mean, tested as a, as a great athlete at the combine and then just, he impacts like every part of the game. I mean, he can mm-hmm. pass it. He gets on the glass, um, almost averaged two steals a game at Georgia tech 18. point. I mean, does a little bit of everything. I mean, there's there's a lot here. He's all over the place on draft boards right now, which I think is pretty interesting. So it, it, it'll be fascinating to see where he ends, but for him to, you know, to become part of the conversation here uh, for the middle of the first round, you never know what happens when, when these guys get in the gym for teams and workouts, but it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening with the Kogi. Your boy, Zyre Smith, Richie tested exactly like everyone thought he would at the combine. I mean, Max Vert just a half inch behind a Kogi, 41.5. That's uh, second tied for second uh, in this class. Um, I think that he, you know, for all of the, the, the late bloomer thing with him, you know, during his uh, freshman season at at Texas tech, I thought he came to the combine and he, he backed it up. You know, he's one of those few wings that we're going to talk about today that actually came in with a lot of hype. People saw what he could do last season. They're like, Oh, this guy's first round pick. And he went to the combine. He tested athletically off the charts pretty much and measured off the charts. And, you know, now seems pretty safely in that lottery Discussion, I would say anything really, I mean, we've talked about Zaire a lot in the past, but do we want to add something kind of post lottery about him? Do we feel even better about him in Charlotte or do we feel uh, a little less? Great?
1: See, the funny thing is I'm actually kind of cooling off on him a little bit. I mean, I, I like his <laughs> measurables. I think he's the athletic freak. Obviously he measured extremely well at the combine. Um, he does all the little things we've talked about that to become a better teammate, um, he, you know, crashes the offensive boards on defense. He'll be there for the offensive. I mean, the uh, the weak side blocks. He's a two-way player, high energy type of guy. But I, I just question how he's going to translate when it comes to shooting. I think his uh, release is, is on the slower side. Uh, so kind of getting those shots off. I know that he shot... A good percentage from deep, but it was on a low, low rate from behind the arc. So that that's still a question mark for me. And then how he can play with the ball in his hand. So the more I watch him, you know, I like his athletic ability. I like the fact that he is a very high IQ type of player. But uh, those two things still qu- are question mark in my books: so his shooting and um, his ability to play with the ball in his hands. There's actually another guy. That uh is another very athletic type of player that I'm actually warming up to, and that's that's Lonnie Walker the fourth. So he um he's almost catching up to Zaire Smith, if not passing him in my books.
3: Yeah, I'll yeah. I'll I have a couple things to, to add on Walker here in a second. Um did a little bit more of a, a numbers dive with him recently, but uh just talking about Zaire Smith real quickly, you know, I saw that he got um You know, he was sort of in terms of his height, I thought he measured at what, like right at six, three or a little under six, three. Was it really that low? Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. It was. Keep going, Brian. I'll look it up here. Anyways, I actually got a little excited when I saw that because my thought was like, oh, this is going to cause him to fall a little bit. (laughs) And like maybe maybe, you know, maybe there's this increases the likelihood that he'll be around when when Charlotte's picking. Uh, I love it. I mean, this guy's athleticism is ridiculous. His hang time is insane. Like I haven't seen a guy in, in recent memory that was quite as athletically gifted as this guy in terms of how he can jump, how he can finish in the air. Not just not just jump and hang, but how he can he can finish um, plays. Six and, four and shoes, Brian, by the six way, four and shoes. OK, cool. Yeah. So, that, um, yeah, short plays really well, but he just plays bigger than that too. You know, mm-hmm. like he just looks bigger and, and he plays a place above the rim, but 22% of his offensive possessions last season were cuts. That's the most of any possession type he had. Um, and most of these wings, you're not going to find that there. It's going to be spot ups or like pick and roll or something like that. Uh, that wasn't the case for Zaire. He shot 68% on cuts and on basket cuts. He shot 79%. Um, nine and a half percent offensive rebound rate. And I mean, go, go queue up the highlights. Some of his putback finishes are just ridiculous. Just absolutely ridiculous. Um, shot 57% on putbacks and almost 16% of his offensive possessions this season were putbacks after an offensive rebound. Um, two thirds of his field goal attempts this season were non post-up attempts at the basket can jump off both feet. Um, and, and can finish, and um, you know, I think there obviously are some concerns with him as a as a scorer and um, you know a shot creator. But everything else other than that, you gotta just love with this guy. I think he can become a good three point shooter. His help instincts defensively are incredible. Mm-hmm. He, he's a blocks and steals guy, which is insane for a, a. which is not insane, but it's really impressive for a wing damn near 5% block rate. And some of these chase down swats he had, I mean, they're like, you know, out of the little Bron James playbook recovery on pick and roll is good. You know, he'll guy will slide past him and he'll be able to recover and get back and contest the shot. 2.3% steal rate too. active good in the passing lanes. Good helping off guys when, uh, when, uh, other players drive, um, yeah, it measured with a six ten, almost six ten wingspan, which is pretty solid too. So yep. I'm a big fan of uh, Zaire Smith. I, yeah, I mean I'm kind of with you,
2: Richie. Like I, 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 it's so hard to project what he becomes offensively. Um, I mean, obviously his game's going to look so much different in two or three seasons now um, than last year at Texas Tech. I mean, he was just like a screener, energy, mm-hmm. offensive rebound, cutter, like this kind of player. Um, very little time with the ball in his hands. I mean, you know, a straight line driver from time to time, but not a guy who's like in the pick and roll. And so, so like how far he has to go on that end, I'm with you. Like, it's really hard to project. And it's very obvious that whoever drafts him is going to have to be very patient. I would be fine with the pick, um, with the Hornets. Like we're not going anywhere fast. So I'm not infatuated with this idea that, that whoever we draft needs to come in and be an impact guy. Um, maybe like I have been in the past few seasons. Um but yeah, like all that to say, what you said earlier, and I'm with you, I, I just there's bus potential here, you know, mm-hmm. or or there's like MKG yes. style yeah. letdownness in, in this in this guy, you know, like yeah, it's gonna be a great Solid. defensive player. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Real solid on that end. But, like, will you ever get anything offensively? Like, mm-hmm. a little bit unsure. So, you know, all that to say, I, I would still not be upset with the pick. What really fascinates me of this wing crop is a lot of these guys are just not very big. Um, really surprised me. I and mean, you start with, I mean, you just talked about Zaire. But, like, I mean, Colin Sexton, six one and a half in shoes, that surprised me. Maybe it shouldn't have. You know, De'Anthony Melton, who I really, really like 6'3 and in, in change in shoes. Uh, Kyrie Thomas, only 6'3 and three quarters in shoes. Uh, Josh Akogi, just a little over 6'4". Grayson Allen, just a little over 6'4". Uh, Lonnie Walker, barely over 6'4". Devin Chinzo, barely over 6'4". So I'm just like, these are all like uh, a lot of these names I just ran off or first round draft picks. And mm-hmm. these are not point guard, right? Like these are combo guards who in shoes are not 6'5", which... It's kind of an out. It seems to me like that's an outlier. One yeah. of the, the outliers about this year's class. Um, and then you really, you stay in the wing crop. I mean, I don't I don't really think there are too many first-round guys that surpass that 6'6 six, six mark. I and mean, Melvin Frazier's getting some some uh, hype this week. The kid from Tulane, I like him. Really good defender. Gary Trent, obviously we've talked about his, him. He almost got to 6'6 and shoot. So, Shake Milton, your boy, Richie, 6'5 um, and a half. But i think the wing crop is really deep i don't know what jumps off the page with me uh, or at me uh with this group though um let's talk about lonnie walker though yeah that name came up uh richie i'm with you I, I mean here's the one guy who has like the donovan mitchell potential right i think a lot of people
1: are high on Zaire smith for the donovan mitchell comparison but to me walker in terms of how he plays is is closer but but continue Spencer if you're gonna talk about him and kind of profile him but to me he's more of the the Donovan Mitchell type
2: yeah no no. no. I mean he's so polished offensively right and I think he I, I watch him play like I would watch a Donovan Mitchell who obviously at Louisville played with the ball in his hands a lot more than I would say Walker did at Miami Walker was more of a catch-and-shoot guy but it's you just watch him play and it's so obvious that this guy has combo guard skills and can play in the pick and roll and I think could be a playmaker. Like, I think he can create for his teammates, but like he is wired as a scorer, And, you know, sometimes that's definitely, uh, it comes to his detriment because he's, he's get trying to get his right. And he misses a lot of easy passes at times, but I'm really fascinated with his playmaking ability, uh, you know, his ability to play off the ball. And obviously on the ball as a second creator, his athletic ability is, I mean, we talked about some of the guys that tested off the charts earlier, when you look at every single drill and then every single measurement, like everything these guys are run through, he might be the most impressive athlete um, of all these wings in the draft. In fact, I think he probably is even more so than Zaire, which kind of surprised me. Um, But Walker has like, you just watch him play. Like that guy could be an all-star one day. That's what I see. And, you know, if he, I'm almost to the point where I'd be surprised if he, he was there at 11. I can't imagine he doesn't get in for workouts and just, like, blow teams away. Mm-hmm. Um, way more so than a guy like Zaire Smith will just because of his
3: polish. So I love Lonnie Walker. And if, he, if the Hornets drafted him, I would be psyched. Yeah, he's, uh, he's interesting. I, I got to cover him a decent amount in the ACC this year. Uh, the Hurricanes, Miami in general, was, they were sort of a little bit of a disappointing team. But uh, didn't quite live up to some of their 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 high preseason expectations. They had injuries and stuff. I felt like that Walker. Um, there were a lot of games he didn't quite jump off the page and was sort of um, sort of down to just like chill and, and take long threes and stuff. But I think I, that was just sort of you know, there's just like a um, a random handful selection of games where I was tracking him on and go back and watch watch the tape. I mean he he can do a lot of stuff. Um, 21% of this guy's possessions were pick and roll ball handler Uh, Miami runs a ton of ball screens in their offense. So he at least got reps doing that at a relatively high level in the ACC. And he's got this, it's almost like Victor Oladipo style of he will catch the ball. He'll back out and he'll ramp up and go in and just attack the ball screen going downhill. um, Which is something that I think we're going to see happen more and more and more. And uh, I, that, You watch that and you're like man i'm i'm interested in a player that that plays downhill and aggressive like that it can change directions change speeds pull up and can get all the way to the rim and and, he had some nasty dunks too yeah yeah bg i I, and i'll throw it back to you but i think that's a really important
2: and you know this from watching miami a lot a lot of flat ball screens right you just made a Mm -hmm. great point like they wanted to unlock their athletes going downhill bruce brown Mm -hmm. um you know the guy we're talking yeah, Quan Newton, um, you know, the guy we're talking about right now, you know, Lonnie Walker. So I think the question, what I want to get to there real quick is like, yeah, a lot of flat ball screens going north, south, not going to be able to do that in the NBA very often, right? Like, yeah. you're going to have to operate out of the pick and roll going east, west. Mm-hmm. That That is where the question comes in for a guy like Lonnie Walker, because when you're going east, west, you're really reading that second to see the help side D. Can you make that first? read number one as a rookie and then moving forward can you make that second read you know and really start creating open shots for your teammates I think that's an important factor so I'm really glad you brought up the you know mm-hmm. he almost looks like a Oladipo in college because all the flat ball screens he operated out of
3: yeah he and I mean for whatever it's worth his numbers as a passer uh, the pick and roll were not great uh this year so but that there's a lot of noise and, and, and randomness that goes into that um measured with a a wingspan over 610 which is interesting um block steals guy close to two percent uh block rate and a two percent steal rate can really track guys you know on and off screens has that i don't mean to keep bringing up all-stars to compare him to that's not really fair but you watch paul george and how he navigates screens off the ball and, and Walker as feels like he can sort of like slide. He's so, he's so long and athletic and, and quick twitchy that he can get, a, he can get around these things with relative ease. As long as he's locked in defensively, um, he can be a complete disruptor and really look like, looks like a guy that can shut down ones, probably some twos as well. Uh, bigger wings might give him at least as of right now, will give him more of an issue, but, um, And I think he's got the ability to like, he's one of those guys that I just think the NBA game might suit him a little Mm -hmm. bit better than college, Uh, especially a team like Miami that was defense focused and played a very slow style of basketball. He'll play faster. He'll play with more space. And I think that will, even with a a three point line that's pushed further back, that will help him become a better shooter. Um, So I'm bullish on Lonnie Walker more so than, when Spencer, you and I did that piece over at Sports Channel Eight like two months ago, leading into the NCAA tournament about draft prospects from the ACC, um, I'm I'm much more intrigued now than I was eight weeks ago. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, no
2: doubt. When Brian and I do like the player profile pieces on Queen City Hoops, whoever. Yeah, we'll, we'll basically fight over who gets to do Lonnie Walker and who has to take the, the <laughs> other. So if you pull up the, the article and you see blood on the page, that'll that'll be that because, I mean, everybody's kind of falling in love with this guy right now. Um, Richie, uh, any, any other thoughts on Walker? Yeah, I just
1: I want to add one more thing. First off, a shout-out to uh, a listener from Germany. He asked me a question about Zaire Smith, and if I was – you know, on, on his train, like I was Donovan Mitchell last year, his at big baby one seven Oh four on Twitter. And to answer that question, I, I am, but like you were, we just stated, i I think I'm higher on Walker. And to be honest with you, Spencer, he might be the leader in my clubhouse in terms of realistic possibilities at 11. The one thing that I do want to add, and you guys talked a lot about him. One thing I want to add, just he does a, an amazing job of finishing uh, around the rim at a variety of angles Uh, and even when he's facing multiple defenders. So that that reminds me a lot of of Mitchell in that way as well. So a lot of people compare Zaire to Donovan Mitchell, but I I see way more similarities when it comes to Lonnie Walker in terms of how he can handle the ball and also play off ball. I think Zaire is a little bit more solid in a a lot of different categories, but Walker has that upside and potential that Zaire might not ever reach.
2: Yes. Yeah, I I agree. And, you know, it, it's hard to be – it's it's hard to be practical, right? Like wh- like when you start digging deep into all this film and, I mean, we do it every single year. I, I feel like I know who my guys are and then combine comes around. You start yeah. watching more film and you see seeing more guys. And you're like, man, it, it's just hard to be practical and, and be fair. And so that's what I'm trying to do with Zayar Smith. I was like, well, wait, there's, there's a reason you really liked him. And I still really do. Yeah. But like to the point where we're trying to make, there's just – the polish that a guy like um, Lonnie Walker has over a guy like Zaire Smith uh, is just so obvious. And it's, it's definitely going to become more and more part of the conversation uh, for teams especially in that late lottery area, as we approach the draft. All right, well, let's talk about a guy that will be talked about more and more and more as the draft approaches. And to me, a guy who's probably like hiding in plain sight right now. Uh, the, his stock has been pretty neutral like all season. It hasn't really moved. Now that we're we've gotten past the combine, Miles Bridges. Um, hmm. It looks like he shaved about 20 pounds yep. off of his frame. Uh, he's at about 220 pounds now. I think that Michigan State had him listed at like 235, so that's pretty impressive. You know, he, in terms of wings, uh, kind of combo guard. Well, he's more of a combo forward, but you know, six almost six, seven in shoes, almost a six ten wingspan, 220 pounds. I mean, you obviously just look at this guy and he's chiseled. And when I consider like what he can become, um, not a super polished offensive player, but a confident one, right? Like he has no problem playing with the ball in his hands. He got a lot of work out of the pick and roll at Michigan state, you know, takes a lot of bad shots, not a great decision maker, uh, you know, I don't want to say his basketball IQ isn't very high, but he doesn't read the game at a high level yet. But then on the other end, defensively, I mean, there's just all those guys I just ran off a minute ago in terms of wings and kind of how undersized they are this year is, is, is interesting. But here's miles bridges. I mean, from a defensive standpoint, there's not a more like switchable guy across positions one through four in the small ball NBA. This guy might be become a guy who can guard every position. You know what I mean? So, 220 pounds super muscular guy he's not going to get overpowered getting caught on switches uh, on the next level i don't think and i mean there's a reason he was considered to be a top 10 pick Mm -hmm. last year so i don't know i i would i'm warming up to the idea of bridges really really am Miles Bridges. Yeah, is.
1: me too. A little bit. Um, you know, he's he's still an intriguing player. You know, we do kind of forget about him, like you said. It just seems like he's always been in that, like, 9 to 13 range, and he's probably going to be there for us to pick at, at 11, and we're definitely going to have to consider him. Um, he's an improved shooter, spot-up shooter, that is. He's adequate from behind the arc. Uh, definitely a high-motor, high-effort, toughness type of player, and this translates – uh, when you see him battle for those rebounds, I don't know how many rebounds he averaged at Michigan State, but I, I know it was up there. I guess the one thing I might be a little bit concerned about, you know, he does have that switchability, like you say, but I think his length, his wingspan's not that great for the for his size. I think it's only like 6'9". And so, you know, he's explosive and athletic enough on the offensive end to get past these fours. But on the opposite end, you wonder if his lack of length will be able to bother those shots from those fours who have a little bit more, uh, size on him in terms of the length. But if you put him at the three, you know, you kind of take away some of those advantages that he has on offense in terms of, you know, driving past a guy, but yeah, he's super athletic, uh, high motor, high effort type of player. I wouldn't be like thrilled with the pick, but I definitely wouldn't be upset if we, if we drafted him at 11.
2: Yeah, you're right. I mean, he's not, he's not crazy long, you know, measurement wise, he doesn't blow you away there but he's a really good athlete and i think what he what he misses with his length he's going to make up with with how good of an athlete he is and how good of a leaper you know he can be i mean here's a guy who can going to be able to make an impact on the ball obviously and i think he can serve some rim protecting um roles i mean he's just going to be able to in every aspect of defense he's going to be able to make an impact i think um and if he commits on that end, which I don't know that he was super consistently committed on that in Michigan state, but the potential is, is undeniable. Um, and, you know, play for a great coach, Michigan state played in a high major conference, obviously, you know, went back to school to try to improve some things last season didn't happen, but he, he, you know, all these things said, you kind of like the approach that he took during this process. And I think that, you know, you're getting a player who's going to be able to contribute right away, probably, uh, with a miles bridges. So it will be interesting to see, his stock has just been so consistently like meh at 10 for like so long now (laughs) it'll be interesting to see if it's going to rise or if it's actually going to drop you know as we get closer to the date uh june 21st which wow i just looked at the calendar here we're literally a month away from the draft which is hard to believe i know here's a question i wanted to ask michael porter i mean i think we i could see him going like as high as number four or five and i could see him dropping to charlotte at 11 there's hardly anything to see out there i mean he he played what four games or five games in Missouri right. last season He's was injured right right he got hurt um early in the season i mean I, I don't and also his medicals man like i don't know the exact injury off the top of my head here but it was a, it was a spinal um injury i believe you know associated with his back and I don't know that he ever really, I mean, obviously he got cleared to come back in the sec tournament, but you could tell he was, and he admitted he was only 75% at the best, you know, what ha- What happens with his medicals? If he does release those two teams, which I would uh, imagine that he will not, um, what teams are able to, to get in terms of inf- information about what kind of shape he's in, um, is he going to be able to recover from this injury or is this something that's always going to kind of linger for him? um, Super interesting, but he's a guy who could become, you know, unquestionably a future all-star if things work out with his health. If he falls to 11, Richie, would you blink or do you, you have to take him?
1: I feel like you have to take him. You know, I, I don't know too much about this guy. I know that he's a he's a he's a proven scorer, but his highlight tape is very uh, very thin right now because he did not uh, suit up for the uh, the Missouri Tigers too much last year. And another shout out to Big Baby One Seven Zero Four on Twitter because he asked that same question: Can you see Porter Junior dropping to eleven uh, like Monk did yeah. last year? So I think that. You know, if he he is there at 11, you have to take a hard look at him. But uh, the injury concerns always are going to be a concern and kind of make you hesitant on whether or not to draft a guy like that. But I feel like he's even claimed that he's the best player in this draft. I feel like I've heard that in an interview recently. He's the best player in this draft. So I'm sure the upside is there, but the concerns with the injury uh, definitely are going to make some people some people hesitant in drafting him but again like og and a lot of people were hesitant on drafting him because of his injuries concerns and
2: um yeah. you saw what he turned out to be yeah i um like you said not much out there um i mean just real quick on folks that haven't seen any of michael porter and are wondering what all the hype is about he was the number one prospect in the country um before his freshman season last season at missouri um grew up in washington his brother jonte porter is Mm -hmm. gonna be in this draft too and uh, there's a lot of hype about him a lot of people think he's maybe the third best center in this class depending on who you ask but uh anyways porter you know six nine or no no no, he's 610 i think um obviously a good shooter a good slasher can play with the ball in his hands i mean he did it all at 610 in high school uh and, and showed the ability to play in the pick and roll i mean this is a this is like a once every five year type of talent to, you know, almost not a Ben Simmons type of player, but imagine a 16 guy that can do a ridiculous amount of stuff with the ball. Mm -hmm. They're similar in that way. So, but yeah, I mean, it's the health. I mean, how healthy is he? Is he going to be able to recover? Um, fully and have a somewhat normal career health-wise in the nba i think that's a huge question for the league right now and i just don't think that his agent is going to let those medical records get out there i mean why would he um i gotta imagine there's probably something they don't want people to know because that's it's a serious injury what he was facing anything having to do with the spine is is pretty yeah. serious um so who else do we want to go um, over here what about sga what are your thoughts on sga oh, yeah yeah yeah, good. Um, I I've been high on SGA, Shea Gillespie Alexander, who we're talking about here from Kentucky. Been high on him the entire time. He measured uh, awesome yeah. at the combine, which I think everybody kind of expected that he would. I'm going to pull this up right now. Actually, SGA's wingspan was six, almost seven feet, six eleven. And a half, which is super impressive. He's six, six in shoes, pretty much what people expected. It's actually funny. Uh Hau Diallo, his playing partner at Kentucky last year, they literally measured the same in shoes and wingspan wise, both six six with six eleven and a half wingspans. I, you just look at them out on the floor and they don't they don't look like the same athlete. like they just it's so it's just amazing that like they measured the exact same. that's that's weird to me. but i It goes to show you, like, how you watch the game sometimes. The eye test doesn't always prove to be true. Uh, But, no, I mean, to answer your question, Richie, I like SGA. I think that, like, I've used the (laughs) DeLon Wright comparison for a while. They just remind me of each other athletically. Shooting the ball-wise, I think that SGA is going to have a a battle uphill like DeLon Wright did uh, when he got to Toronto. He's going to have to learn how to shoot the ball um what i think's interesting about goddes alexander is this is that like he was kind of thrown into this point guard role at kentucky I, that wasn't the plan for him coming in i mean people knew he could play with the ball in his hands and be a kind of second banana creator uh, of offense but it, the plan was not to start him at point guard so th- this idea that he's a point guard all of a sudden is a little odd to me like it's nice that he can do those things right. I, I don't think he blew anybody away with his you know offensive um, creation ability at Kentucky last year. That was a quicksand offense to watch though. Good Lord. That was tough to watch. Um, but you know, the idea of him being a point guard, I think is, is not accurate. I think he's a combo guard. Who's very, very switchable and has a super high motor defensively high, high upside on the defensive end, but offensively, Richie, I, I have like the same kind of questions with him that I would like Zaire Smith. And they're not the same player. I mean, no. SGA is more polished, but I don't know, man. I, I I just worry about him a little bit on that end, and I wonder if he is put into a role where he, you know, he doesn't have the ball in his hands. You know, what is SGA bringing to the table? You know, like what is he doing out there offensively? Yeah. So I worry about him that way.
1: Well, and it's good that he has played point guard and he's shown some ability to play with the ball in his hands, and you know, but you know, he he does the have the option of playing off ball as well. I just think that. You know there are some things that I like about him and there's definitely some things that I'm concerned about you know I do like the fact that he's a very very controlled finisher uh, with either hand around the basket he's not like this flashy finisher by any chance but he just kind of goes really slow and controlled and um, he's just able to finish obviously because of that wingspan that he has he's able to finish over those bigs he's a smart player uh, like Zaire Smith he uses head fakes to get defenders in the air uh, knows when to dump it down to a big or pass it out to a an open three-point shooter uh, and defensive with the wingspan you know that he can affect people on ball but also get in the passing lanes off ball the one thing that I'm a little bit worried about in terms of of his play style he was able to get into the teeth of the defense at Kentucky uh, and and finish around uh, even bigs like I was stating earlier but it feels like almost every highlight that I watch of him he didn't really create a lot of space. He wasn't that explosive in getting by his defenders. Uh, he was lucky in the fact that he had this wingspan and was able to finish around the bigs. And he, he does a we- he does a good job of doing that. Uh, but you just wonder with the athletes in the NBA – If you can't get by him on a consistent basis, you're going to have to rely on your wingspan. You're going to have to rely on your finishing ability, uh, but you're Mm -hmm. you're also going up against better athletes. So it just seems like all the highlights that I've watched him, he does a great job of being in and out of traffic uh, to get to the basket, but it just seems like there's a lot of defenders around it because he's not creating that needed
2: space. Yeah, he's not. And like I was saying earlier, um, yeah, just such, so little space in that Kentucky offense last year. It was it was like hopping in a time machine and watching basketball from 25 years ago. But, um, you know, SGA lowest body, body fat percentage in the entire combine huh. 3%, which is ridiculous. Um, I'm at, four. you know, it, <laughs> <laughs> not to be confused with Richie Randall, Shea yeah. Gillis, Alexander 3% <laughs> body fat percentage. Um, yeah, I think I'm like, I think I'm like 14 and a half or something. I'm, I'm working on it. Um, <laughs> but uh you know, you look at that. I mean, he's rail thin, but six six with an almost seven foot wingspan, a three percent body fat. Like, imagine that guy putting on twenty pounds of muscle or yeah. fifteen pounds of muscle. You know what I mean? Like, now you're talking about like, whoa, well, this this is a serious NBA athlete now. You know what I mean? So, I think the three percent body fat is is interesting in that way because it tells you how much how easy it should be for him to improve his body. He doesn't need to shave weight or body fat he just needs to add muscle and i yeah. think he'll do that easily in the, in the nba weight program um yeah i, I like sga uh, to kind of wrap it on him um i think the hornets need a backup point guard obviously <laughs> i don't think i know uh, and you know, if he's there at 11 and guys like Walker are off the board and, you know, you're just a little, you have cold feet on Zaire Smith, understandably so. And you're like, Hey, let's just plug a need here. A really important need for us. And, and then if Kim believes in a year, you know, maybe SGA is kind of the guy moving forward. So it makes sense in a few different ways from that perspective. Um, I, I would be fine with this pick for Charlotte. I don't, I'm not super high on SGA. Uh, I don't, I don't project him to ever be like a future all-star or anything like that. Um, you know, but at 11 you're not expecting to get a franchise altering guy if you can get a, a solid rotation player who plugs a hole and can probably help you right away that's fine too so i feel like that's um, like the
1: theme with a lot of these prospects like i this this you know off season i've been watching a lot of highlights and, and kind of researching into all these guys but i just haven't been like blown away by anyone i get that we're drafting at 11 so like like you said, he, it's it's just going to fill a need. It's going to be a role player. It They might have the ability to be a uh, an all-star one day, but it just seems like this year, like, I can't put my finger on it, but I, I, there's not one player that just stands out to me that I'm just, like, gung-ho about. Like, if this guy is here at 11, let's take him, no questions asked. Like, there, there really isn't yeah. a player, unless there is one for you. Like, is there, like, a leader in your clubhouse that you're just like, okay, if this guy is here, let's take him, no questions asked?
2: Um... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I'm getting there with Lonnie Walker, right? You know, I, I really, really like him. He's really the only guy I would say, yeah, yeah I really want to take this guy. I mean, and obviously you got to get him in the gym. The Hornets have to do, do their due diligence there. You know, I don't know anything about Lonnie Walker's personality. I don't know what kind of guy, you know, I, I just assume all these guys are great guys you know, until you hear otherwise. But I mean, that's the kind of stuff you gotta, you gotta know too and do your homework on, but just from like a on court production, uh, high ceiling yep. post potential. You know, I think the guy's Lonnie Walker for me right now. Um, and I, that's assuming, you know, Michael Porter and drop to 11, which I don't think he will when it's all said and done. Let's see here. I just want to mention a few names. Uh, sex Interesting. I, uh, I don't know, man. I, I just, I really cannot develop an. I'm incapable of developing opinion on him. Like I like him at times. And then other times I watch him and I'm just like, yeah, the physical the physical upside is is nice but i don't think it's like super substantial and there's another guy will he ever learn to shoot yeah will he ever be able to really shoot it and i think that's so important i mean it's the it's the kimball walker thing i mean he always had to learn how to shoot if kimball would have never gotten over the top there um at his size richie i don't like i don't know that he would have like not been in the league right now but that opened up everything for him. And I just watched Sexton shoot the ball and I'm just like, yeah, I just don't like that stroke. It just doesn't look like it's going to trans. It's not fluid at all. And, uh, God, he just had such a high usage rate and he played with the ball in his hands so much at Alabama. And, you know, just like, what is that guy doing on the floor again? If he's not playing with the ball in his hands, right? But anyways, I'm being hard on him. I think I would still be happy with it, but I'm, I'm higher on a guy like Walker. Oh, for,
1: for sure. And, uh, I guess the good thing about playing with the ball in your hands at Alabama, he's definitely going to be able to translate that pick and roll, you know, ability over to the NBA, which you see a lot of. So he definitely dealt a lot with that at Alabama. He's definitely this, you know, this competitive player that has a lot of, you know, moxie, and he trash talks the other opponents. Uh, I like that about him, but like you said, the, the shooting ability is, is just isn't there. He's a scorer. Put the ball in his hands. He uses his power, his speed, his athleticism to. Score in the half court, scoring transition. Um, I think he does a good job of, of getting to the line, drawing fouls as well. And he's he's all right in the mid range as well. But that deep shot uh, just isn't there. He almost reminds me a little of uh, Baron Davis kind of coming out, you know, just his like athletic hmm. and power. And
2: Baron didn't shoot the ball
1: too yeah. well. I don't know. Maybe it's just the physical ability and kind of like how he is a little bit flashy with, with some of the things that he does.
2: Right. No, no, no. I think that's an interesting comparison. I mean, yes, it, it's the explosive athletic ability and power with Sexton. I mean, explosive is really the, like, the key word to focus in on with him. So, look, I, I don't want to like get it twisted. I, I do like him as a prospect a lot. I just – I don't know, man. It just becomes more important by the day in, in today's NBA for, for guys to be able to shoot. And I just don't – I don't know if it's going to come with him or not. And we've seen a lot of guys flame out – or looking like they're going to flame out that just have great athletic ability, play with the ball in their hands, can create, but can't shoot. Darren Fox, the latest example with Sacramento, I mean, yikes. I don't know what's going to happen there. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I don't know, man. Sexy's just got to learn to shoot. So uh, if he's there at 11, certainly wouldn't be disappointed with the pick. Let's put it that way. I want to mention a few names that, uh, you know, jumped off the page at me during the combine uh melvin frazier from tulane i think i mentioned him a little bit earlier seven foot wingspan uh wing really good defender i i haven't seen anybody move their feet as quickly and change directions and cut off the ball uh as well as him in a while so i, I really like him out of, out of tulane go check him out if you've not seen his tape yet yeah and then, i'm
1: sure no one has seen tulane play so yeah i'll have to look,
2: look yeah. him up that powerhouse at yeah. tulane yeah Check him out. Melvin Frazier actually had, they played Carolina, I think it was last season. Yeah, yeah. They played in Chapel Hill, and he had a ridiculous dunk. Like, just go watch that highlight. Wow. Um, pretty pretty impressive athlete he is. Uh, the other guy I wanted to mention is DeAndre Melton uh, from USC. Uh, he measured, like, just shy of six four in shoes, 6'10 um, wingspan, I believe. Maybe a little shy of that. Um, but another combo guard who can who might have the best defensive instincts of any guy in this draft at the wing position so i would recommend watching him play a little bit too uh youtube deandre melton um reminds me of like an excuse like the i mean i know norman powell went to usc too Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i'm not i was not too convenient of a comparison but the two do remind me of each other um again the question with him is can he shoot shot it okay at usc Um, but has kind of a hitchy gets it kind of on the right side of his body, kind of a catapult looking shot, but he, but he shot it at a fine clip. And I think it's a shot that could potentially translate Um, can play with the ball in his hands. Um, not explosive athlete, but quick twitch athlete. And that's really where he, you know, that's where he gains a lot defensively. Uh, So I would recommend watching him play too. I thought he did a lot of good for himself uh, at the combine. Um, Any names we've, not mention that we probably should, Richie, before we get out of here? No, I mean I think
1: that we've mentioned the ones that are that are gonna be in our range. I know that you had the mock draft with Wendell Carter falling to us, but I, I just can't see that happening. Um I would love for it to happen and I think that would be a player that I would be like, yeah, no questions asked. You you select him at eleven, but I, I just that's a little bit of a wishful thinking. I don't know if, I mean, I guess the dominoes can fall that way. But I think we've mentioned all the names that I think that are going to be there. I think the Hornets, it's still a month away, but I think they're going to be choosing from like Lonnie Walker, Colin Sexton, SGA, Zaire Smith. Those are going to be the Miles Bridges. Those are going to be the players mm-hmm. that are going to be in our range. I would love for Wendell Carter to fall, but uh, I'm not going to get my hopes up like I did with the lottery.
2: Yeah, I, I think that uh, you're right about Wendell Carter probably not falling to 11. You know, I, I really wanted to make a point with the mock draft 1.0. is just like, <laughs> hey, there exists a scenario right. where this could happen. And um, I, I still wouldn't say it's it's completely out. I mean, like I said earlier, a lot of guys, uh, there's some chatter out there that guys like Jonte Porter and even Robert Williams are better, mm-hmm. are better prospects long term than a guy like Wendell Carter. I don't necessarily agree with those but I don't think you're crazy by saying that like you go watch those three guys play and you compare and contrast. Um, yeah, like those two players, Williams and Porter can do things that Carter just can't. And, uh, so it's interesting. If one of those guys is able to leap out in front of him, then him falling to 11 is still in play. But yeah, it doesn't look likely right now. Um, all right. That was a lot. And I think what are we at? about an hour and a half here richie an hour hour and a half yeah um i know it's been it's been a while since we've
1: done one of these so i feel like we had to get a lot of information in here but yep
2: exactly and brian had to run to take care of something so richie and i um drug us home here hope you guys didn't have to suffer too much once bg left um but anyways all right well let's wrap this one we will be back next week probably yeah yeah we'll be back next week richie i would say um, it's draft season, so I'm not sure we'll be weekly, but we'll, we'll come to you guys every week when we can, because mm-hmm. I know there's going to be a lot of draft coverage. It's always a fun time, a uh, fun time of year for, for Hornets fans and basketball fans in general. Um, so we're going to try to, to be weekly as much as possible, but I, I don't want to make the promise that up until June 21st, we're going to have four more episodes. So, um, all right, well, do not forget. We are a proud member of the almighty Baller podcast network and check out buzzbeat radios home queencityhoops.com again i have a mock draft column lottery mock draft column i'll have mock draft 2.0 hopefully out this week that's my plan uh we'll see if i can manage my life and get that done and then um also brian and i and i know richie will jump in to hopefully uh help us with one too is we're, we're gonna compare uh, and really debate prospects so if you go back in the archives queen city hoops last year Uh, We had what we call draft profiles and would go one prospect versus the other. Brian, take one. I'd take one. Rich, whoever's helping out. And uh, we kind of debate who the better fit is for Charlotte. So we'll do that. Hopefully have three or four of those prior to the draft for you guys, too. So just stay locked in with Queen City Hoops uh, for the draft coverage. Uh, And then last but not least, uh, Sports Channel 8. Make sure you check them out uh, at Sports Channel 8 on Twitter. uh, And then tons of great written content. Obviously, Sports Channel 8. All the North Carolina sports that you need. All right. Uh, Well, for myself, that's Richie. That was Brian. We will see you guys next week. Take care.